You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a new series for a few weeks called Life After Easter. We had the joy last week of looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what does that mean for you and for me? What does it mean that Jesus is alive? After his resurrection, Jesus appears approximately 10 times to various of his followers and his disciples. Not only to prove he was alive, but to start to live out the implications of his resurrection. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it means for Jesus to be alive for you and for me. And this morning, we're going to start with one of the most profound ways in which Jesus brings his resurrection to bear in this world. One of the most surprising ways that he starts his resurrected ministry with this, that Jesus comes and gives hope to failures. He gives hope to those who have failed. One of the great tragedies around the last few days of Jesus was seen through the lens of the Apostle Peter. Do you remember Peter was one of Jesus' most spectacularly kind of uh, courageous and vocal disciples? He'd be the first one to run into the flames of fire to rescue someone, the first one to put his foot in his mouth and say the wrong thing. He was the most enthusiastic. But what was fascinating was just at this time that it was Jesus' greatest victory on the cross, it was Peter's greatest failure. Remember back in Mark chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, he said, all of you will desert me. But after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. But Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, not me. I'm better than the rest, Jesus. So Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night... Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny three times that you even know me. Peter can't compute this. But later on, as we saw in the passion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, so it is. As he's on looking, as he's seeing Jesus go to the cross, he's confronted by various people. Don't you know him? Aren't you one of his disciples? And three times, Peter denies him. At the time of Jesus' resurrection and the manifestation of Jesus' victory, it was the pinnacle of Peter's failure. I am Peter. I fail. I fail to live up to my promises. I fail to follow Jesus the way I say. There are things that I am deeply ashamed of that I have done. There are times in my life where I think God could not use me anymore for what I've done. I might suggest that you might also feel the same way, that we fail. We fail as husbands and wives, as parents, as bosses, as colleagues, as friends, as neighbors, and as followers of Jesus. What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with the Peters of this world? In other words, me and you. 
Today we look at one of the first ministries of Jesus as he came out of the grave. And spectacularly and surprisingly, the first thing Jesus did in his risen power and authority was restore failures. Let's look together at John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, oh, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who, who's John. Imagine calling yourself that. <laughs> Massive eye rolls every time John said that, I'm sure, with the other disciples. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, the failure, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they had landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter had rejected Jesus three times. But the resurrected Jesus has not rejected him. He comes out of the tomb. He's going around proving that he's alive. but he goes to Peter to prove his love for him. Peter, on the other hand, is miserable. He's ashamed. He goes, you know what, I'm out fishing. Goes back to what he knew, goes back to what he knows. His life seems to be over. The great hope of ministering with Jesus is gone. And he hides in the boat. He's ashamed and defeated. 
And what is worse, he's not only failed at following Jesus, he's now failed at what he thought he knew how to do, and that is fish. It's like things could not be going any worse for Peter. He said, you know what? Okay, at least I failed at that. Well, at least I'm good at this. So he goes out at night fishing, the best time of the day to catch. He's an expert fisherman. But I wonder what it was like for him thinking, not only am I a failure at what I thought I did best, but now I'm a failure at even who I am, a fisherman. He's at the lowest of lows. Have you ever been at the lowest of your low? When things are failing all around, when things haven't worked out the way you thought, when maybe things have been happening to you or maybe you've done them to others and you're ashamed and hiding and defeated in a boat. It's in that very moment when we're running from God that Jesus runs to us. Jesus appears on the shore and he doesn't shame Peter from afar. He doesn't revel in his lack of fishing expertise. Have you ever noticed this? I don't know about you, but certainly when I see people have betrayed me, I can't wait to see them fail at something. Does that remember you? Is that just me? I don't vocalize that, of course. But I go, oh, bless, they failed. But that's not Jesus. Jesus comes into Peter's failure, into his further failure, and shouts from the shoreline, friends. Not Judas, not failure, not how could you, but friends. He then goes further and says, let me help you. Cast the net on the other side. Let me help you. He then says, hey, let me make you breakfast. In other words, in our worst rejection of Jesus, he doesn't love us any less, but comes to love us in our failure. You see, we think our failure separates us from the love of God. We run from Jesus and go, how could he love me? How could he like me? I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm so ashamed. I, I said I wouldn't even do those things, and yet here I am. I can't go to church. I can't pray. I can't worship. I'm so disappointing to God. I'm so, such a failure to God. Even, I'm a leader, Peter. I'm like one of the 12 apostles. And yet, in the moment of his greatest shame and hiddenness, Jesus runs to him to bless him, to love him. You see, the fundamental point of the cross and resurrection is that God comes out of the tomb so that we can always be sure that he always now relates to us, not based on our performance, but based on his. It's, it's his goodness and his goodness only that is the foundation of our relationship with him. He's dealt with all of our sin and lack of performance and our failures on the cross. He's already dealt with them. So when we fail, all he wants to do is comfort us in our failure. 
while we're beating ourselves up, he was already beaten up for us. That we can run into his arms of grace in our deepest shame. See, Peter understands this. It's why when he realizes it's Jesus, he's still 100 meters from shore, and yet he just jumps in. He's running through the water. He's wading as fast as he can because he can't wait to get to the Jesus who forgives him and loves him when he's at his very worst. See, Jesus is not surprised or disillusioned with you when you fail. Have you ever realized that Jesus predicted he would fail? He's not going, oh my gosh, he failed me three times. He knew he'd fail. And guess what? He knows you're going to fail. He doesn't put up, therefore, boundaries with you. He doesn't go, you know what, I can't use him. He doesn't say, you know what, maybe I should turn somewhere else because I think you're going to let me down. If Jesus only used people who wouldn't let him down, he wouldn't use any of us. See, performance is not the currency of his relationship with us. His love and his love only. His cross and his cross only is the currency of his relationship with us. In his failure, Jesus loved Peter. But he goes beyond love. He goes beyond forgiveness. See, Jesus doesn't just come to Peter with forgiveness and love but he does something far deeper in Peter's life. He heals the very point, the very reason why he failed. He restores him. See, Jesus' goal in your life is not just to forgive you. It's not just to love you. It's to heal you. It's to transform you. It's to help you get over those things that, Look, Peter, I don't want you to go through life with whatever it is that meant that you felt you had to deny me. I'm not disillusioned by that. I predicted that, but I'm here because I love you, but I want to heal you of that. And this is the point of these amazing questions that Jesus asks Peter over breakfast. It's actually quite a dramatic beach theater, right? Once you understand what's going on, it seems random at first, but then deeply profound. As ever, Jesus, in what he does, not, teaches not just through words, but how he does it. See, if you remember Peter's denial, see, Peter said, I'm better than the others. They may deny you, but I won't. I love you more than these. He then, if you, we didn't read it, but his first denial was while Peter was warming his hands around a charcoal fire. And that was the point of his first denial. And then he went on to deny him three times. Well, look at Jesus' reenactment. He says to Peter, so do you love me more than these? He says, look, Let's reenact this around a charcoal fire. He then says, hey, 
Three times you denied me, so three times I'm going to ask you, do you love me? I mean, in some ways, Jesus is not letting Peter escape his failure. He's actually taking Peter deeper into it. I don't know about you, but when I fail, the last thing I want is to be reminded or to face it. I just want to move on. You know, there's a great rug in my house, and you're just going to sweep it under that. I want to move on. But see, Jesus' hope and power for Peter is to forgive him and to love him, but not to sweep things under the carpet, because Jesus wasn't rubbing Peter's nose in his failure. He was taking him deeper into it so he could see what was underneath his failure, that he could heal the root and restore him so this failure would not trip him up again. He says, look, he nails it the first question, right? He nails it the first question. Remember, Peter, you said, I'm not like these, I won't deny you. Jesus says, really? Do you love me more than these two? The very first question, Jesus is taking Peter into his failure to reveal the truth behind it, the root behind it. And for Peter, that was pride. I'm better than these other guys. I won't let you down. Really, Peter, you love me more than these other guys? Let's just talk about this pride in your life. See, pride and our performance and our own sense of goodness and our own sense of moral fortitude is a very faulty foundation for our life. It can cause us to do all sorts of things that are toxic to us and to others. When we feel that we're on top of our game, we are arrogant and superior. That's the very definition we're on top of our game because we are on top of our game better than other people. And when we're not on top of our game, we feel in despair and depressed because our whole identity is based on being better than other people. We're in this yo-yo, neither extreme is very healthy. Either yo-yos to pride and arrogance and superiority or yo-yos to inferiority, shame and depression. So Jesus is exposing this faulty foundation in his life so that he can replace that foundation with the grace of the cross, with the grace of Jesus Christ. But the pain of going into his failure was necessary to expose the root. Jesus didn't want Peter anymore to live on the faulty foundation of what Peter had done but he wanted Peter's life to be based on what Jesus had done for Peter. He wanted to move Peter away from feeling good about himself, kind of worthy about himself, based on how well he had performed at his various goals in life. He wanted to move him away from those things which would just breed arrogance or workaholism or judgmentalism or criticism of others into a life of even cowardice. He said, I wanted you to be healed of that and replace that foundation, not with your performance, but my performance, my unconditional love for you. That you are loved and secure and valuable, not based on what you do or don't do, not based on your successes or failures. You are just loved. 
You are accepted. You are worthy because of my love for you. This becomes the foundation of Peter's life and can be the foundation of ours. But it took Peter to own what he'd done and go deeply into it to expose the root behind the fruit of his denial. I remember this happened in my life many times and it'll happen more and more. But one time in particular, I was late 20s. I had moved out of one career into a different career. And this new job that I'd taken in this new profession, I had to start from the bottom and it felt quite humbling to start at the bottom. I'd been a lawyer for seven years in London and then to go into this scenario felt quite humbling to be at the base level. But they said to me, Gerd, don't worry, we only promote from within and we only hire from within, so you'll be promoted quickly, don't worry. Just, we have every confidence in you. And suddenly my worth and my value and how I felt about myself was based on how quickly I would be promoted. It was embarrassing to go to parties or dinner parties or coffee with a group of employees and I'm like 28 and everyone else is 21 and we're all at the same level. I thought, like Peter, I am better than you. (laughs) Didn't say it, but that's how I felt. Well, things started to go well and I was promoted here, promoted there. But the big promotion was looming. The big promotion was just around the corner and I was working really hard. We were living in Geneva, Switzerland at the time and I was working super hard to get that done and I remember sitting down when it came to review, to annual review time, sitting down with my boss and she said, Gare, we're really pleased with what you're doing. Exciting to see you in the company. We think you're doing really well. In fact, you got a score, one, two or three. And she said that ones are always promoted, two is where most people are at because you're doing a great job, and three, well, there's a, an issue. And of course, there's no issue, um, and we really want to give you one to promote you, but we can't. And she went into the reasons why she couldn't, and it was all structural stuff, and it was all, the reason was, you know, X, Y, Z. All I heard was, you're a two. I was devastated. I wasn't just disappointed, but I was devastated. I went home, I went into the nursery that we were building for our first daughter. Building, decorating. (laughs) I don't build. (laughs) And I remember sitting there, devastated, Oh, the irony. Devastated in the midst of the room that should have been for the greatest joy. And I didn't look at anything. All I could think of was I'm a two. Lizzie, my amazing Australian wife, looked at me and went, what is going on? I said, I'm a two. I didn't get promoted. And Lizzie, my amazing wife, saw through my disappointment and comforted me my disappointment but called me out on my devastation and she did like Jesus 
said, what's behind this? And slowly but surely I recognized that I'd been building my life on my performance, on my success, on how good I was. So much so that I'd become a workaholic, couldn't take joy in my family, and was obsessed with promotion. See, the great thing is, Jesus came to me as he came to Peter, but he didn't affirm me in my failure. He took me into it, took me deep into it, not to rub my face in it, not to rub my nose in it, but to give me eyes to see what's underneath it and to set me free of it, that I could build my life on his grace and his care for me, that my future's in his hands, not my boss's hands, not the company's hands, that my value is not based on being a two, a one, or a three, it's because he loves me and that will never change. So he doesn't just forgive us, but he heals us, that we may have a new foundation for life. But Jesus goes further. He doesn't just heal us. Because if you notice, and every time he says his, to Peter, do you love me? Each, for each reminder of his failure, he promises a future. For each gong of the clanging cymbal, he says, but look of the hope where I'm gonna take you. He said, hey Peter, do you love me more than these? I'm feed my sheep. Hey Peter, do you remember you failed me? Man, I gotta tell you, your future's looking great. For, for the three failures becomes three expressions of great hope. As each time he drives Peter into his failure to look beneath it, He's driving Peter into his future to see what God has in store for him. You see, our culture says failure means rejection. Failure means, if not even rejection, well, you're now on the substitutes bench. Failure means, well, we can't use you again, or maybe we'll demote you. At best, you're in the shadows. At best, you're on the bench not with Jesus. It's the reverse in the kingdom of God. See, in the world, my failure can define me and demote me, but in Jesus, my failure can refine me and promote me. This is the scandal of grace. See, when you allow Jesus, when you own your failure and allow Jesus to take you into it to see what's underneath it and you allow him to heal that root that caused the pain in the first place, he can take you out of the other side of that and go, guess what I'm now gonna do with you that I couldn't before. It's important to say and remind ourselves, Jesus doesn't condone our mistakes. He doesn't, grieve with those we've hurt. I mean, he grieves with those we hurt. He doesn't like our mistakes, he doesn't like what Peter did, but he's bigger than what Peter did. And in repentance and submission and surrendering, 
Jesus says, I'm so bigger than what you've done. I can comfort and heal those you hurt, and I can comfort and heal you. And so, use my resurrection power to turn this into something good for you and for those around you. See, Jesus not only predicts Peter's denial, he predicts his future ministry because of his denial. See, back in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says this at the Last Supper. It's a crazy verse. He says, it's on the screen here. He says, Peter, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon Peter, that your faith should not fail. Here we go. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Do you see that? Jesus is realizing that the way to refine you, the way to put you into ministry with your kids, with your family, with your job, with your neighbors, in your church, the way to actually equip you will be through the valley of failure. Just don't get stuck there. But allow Jesus to take you through it. You see, in the hands of the resurrected Jesus, every failure, no matter how dark, no matter how painful, can be turned to good. In fact, God only builds his church on people who admit they fail. That's the whole point of the cross, that we are a cross-shaped people. And it's through our failure that we reestablish our lives on his grace, that we discover that life is not about us, and we become useful to him in ministry because in your marriage, with your parenting, with your friendships, with your boyfriends and girlfriends, your, your colleagues, your parents, your neighbors, you are able to forgive more because he forgave you in your failure. You are able to love more because he loved you in your failure. You can serve because he cooked you breakfast in your, in your failure. You can empathize because he wept with you in your failure. The first ministry act that Jesus did out of the tomb was to come to failures and restore them and give them hope. Have you failed? I have. And as we look and go on a journey together of life after Easter. There's no better place to start than surrendering and throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Throwing ourselves on the foundation of grace. Owning where we failed. Saying, Jesus, take me into it that I may see the root behind it because I know you'll bring me out from it a new person. Called commissioned to love others, serve others as you have loved me. Let's stand together. Just love you to close your eyes. Our prayer team are gonna come up, our worship team is gonna come out. But I'd love our prayer team to come up pretty quickly because we're gonna start with prayer.
I have failed big time in my life. I am only here by the grace of Jesus Christ. But this is the rhythm of life with Jesus, running to him in our daily failures. No matter how big, no matter how small. So Jesus, as we stand in our boats, knowing that we've failed, we see you now on the shore, calling out to us. Friends, we see you helping us. We see you calling for us. Help us to own where we failed. That we may go into it with you and see the root behind it that you may heal us of that. Knowing that as you heal us, you grow us, you refine us, and you commission us to join you in your ministry in our city. We thank you that you never give up on us. We thank you that no failure is too big for you. We pray where we have failed and hurt others, Father, we pray that you would comfort them and restore them. We pray that in our ownership, we would also do what we can do to join you in restoring what we have hurt. But Jesus, we know our future's in your hands. As we worship you, we worship the one upon which we can build our life, the grace of Jesus Christ. As we worship now, I'd love you to come forward to receive prayer. It could be that you need someone to pray with you. You don't have to say in which way you may be feeling the failure. That's between you and Jesus. You can just come forward and say, I failed. Can you pray for me? Or whatever it is you need, the resurrected Jesus is here for you. Let's worship together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.